Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion in City of Tahlequah, Oklahoma versus Austin P. Bond as Special Administrator for the Estate of Dominic F. Rolas, deceased, on petition for writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit, decided October 18th, 2021. This is another per curiam opinion. Um, no syllabus, but it's only five pages, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. On August 12, 2016, Dominic Rollis's ex-wife, Joy, called 911. Rollis was in her garage, she explained, and he was intoxicated and would not leave. Joy requested police assistance. Otherwise, it's going to get ugly real quick. And that was a quotation. The dispatcher asked whether Rollis lived at the resident residence. Joyce said he did not, but explained that he kept his tools in her garage. Officers Josh Gardner, Chase Reed, and Brandon Vick responded to the call. All three knew that Rollis was Joy's ex-husband, was intoxicated, and would not leave her home. Joy met officers out front and led them to the side entrance of the garage. There, the officers encountered Rollis and began speaking with him in the doorway. Rollis expressed concern that the officers intended to take him to jail. Officer Gardner told him that they were simply trying to get him a ride. Rollis began fidgeting with something in his hands, and the officers noticed that he appeared nervous. Officer Gardner asked if he could pat Rollis down for weapons. Rollis refused. Police body, body camera video captured what happened next. As the conversation continued, Officer Gardner gestured with his hands and took one step towards the doorway, causing Rollis to take one step back. Rollis, still conversing with the officers, turned around and walked towards the back of the garage where his tools were hanging over a workbench. Officer Gardner followed the others close followed the others close behind. No officer was within six feet of Rollis. The video is silent, but the officers stated that they ordered Rollis to stop. Rollis kept walking. He then grabbed a hammer from the back wall over the workbench and turned around to face the officers. Rollis grasped the handle of the hammer with both hands, as if preparing to swing a baseball bat, and pulled it up to shoulder level. The officers backed up, drawing their guns. At this point, the video is no longer silent, and the officer can be heard, officers can be heard yelling at Rollis to drop the hammer. He did not. Instead, Rollis took a few steps to his right, coming out from behind a piece of furniture so that he had an unobstructed path to Officer Gardner. He then raised the hammer higher back behind his head and took a stance as if he was about to throw the hammer or charge at the officers. In response, Officer Gardner and Vic fired their weapons, killing Rollis. Rollis's estate filed suit, among others, suit against, among others, Officers Gardner and Vick, alleging that the officers were liable under 14 U.S.C. section 1983 for violating Rollis's Fourth Amendment right to be free from excessive force. The officers moved for summary judgment, both on the merits and on qualified immunity grounds. The district court granted their motion. See, um, Burke v. Tahlequah. That's uh, Eastern District of Oklahoma. The officer's use of force was reasonable, it concluded, and even if not, qualified immunity prevented the case from going further. A panel of the Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit reversed, 
The court began by explaining that the Tenth Circuit precedent allows an officer to be held liable for a shooting that is itself objectively reasonable if the officer's reckless or deliberate conduct created a situation requiring deadly force. Applying that rule, the court concluded that a jury could find that Officer Gerdner's initial step towards Rollis and the officer's subsequent cornering of him in the back of the garage recklessly created the situation that led to the fatal shooting, such that their ultimate use of deadly force was unconstitutional. As to qualified immunity, the court concluded that several cases, most notably Allen v. Muskogee, uh, clearly established that the officer's conduct was unlawful. This petition followed. We need not, and do not, decide whether the officers violated the Fourth Amendment in the first place, or whether recklessly creating a situation that requires deadly force can itself violate the Fourth Amendment. On this record, the officers plainly did not violate any clearly established law. The doctrine of qualified immunity shields officers from civil liability so long as their conduct does not violate clearly established statutory or constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known. That's Pearson versus Callahan. As we have explained, qualified immunity protects all but the plainly incompetent or those who knowingly violate the law. That's District of Columbia versus Westby. Quoting Malley versus Briggs. We have repeatedly told courts not to define clearly established law at too high a level of generality. See um, Ashcroft versus Al Kidd. It is not enough that a rule be suggested by then existing precedent. The rule's contours must be so well defined that it is clear to a reasonable officer that his conduct was unlawful in the situation he confronted. That's uh, Westby again, and quoting Saucier versus Katz. Such specificity is especially important in the Fourth Amendment context, where it is sometimes difficult for an officer to determine how the relevant legal doctrine, here, excessive force, will apply to the factual situation the officer confronts. It's uh, Molyneux versus Luna. The Tenth Circuit contravened those settled principles here, not one of the decisions relied upon by the Court of Appeals, which are estate versus or estate of Sebelos versus Husk, and uh, Hastings versus Barnes, and um, Cyver versus Lawrence, and Allen, um, comes close to establishing. Uh, we'll start that sentence again without the citations. Not one of the decisions relied upon by the Court of Appeals, citations, comes close to establishing that the officer's conduct was unlawful. The court relied most heavily on Allen, but the facts of Allen are dramatically different from the facts here. The officers in Allen responded to a potential suicide call by sprinting towards a parked car screaming at the suspect and attempting to physically wrest a gun from his hands. Officers Gardner and Vic, by contrast, engaged in a conversation with Rollis, followed, followed him into a garage at a distance of 6 to 10 feet, and did not yell until after he picked up a hammer. We cannot conclude that Allen clearly established that their conduct was reckless,
or that their ultimate use of force was unlawful. The other decisions relied upon by the Court of Appeals are even less relevant. For Sevier, that decision merely noted in dicta that deliberate or reckless pre-seizure conduct can render a later use of force excessive before dismissing the appeal for lack of jurisdiction. To state the obvious, a decision where the court did not even have jurisdiction cannot clearly establish substantive constitutional law. Regardless, that formulation of the rule is much too general to bear on whether the officer's particular conduct here violated the Fourth Amendment. C.L. Kidd The state of Cabalos decided after the shooting at issue is of no use in the clearly established query. See um, Brousseau versus Haugen. And Hastings, an unpublished decision, involved officers initiating an encounter with a potentially suicidal individual by chasing him into his bedroom, screaming at him, and pepper spraying him. Suffice it to say, a reasonable officer could miss the connection between that case and this one. Neither the panel majority nor the respondent has identified a single precedent finding a Fourth Amendment violation under, the sim- under similar circumstances. The officers were thus entitled to qualified immunity. The petition for certiorari and the motions for leave to file briefs amicae curiae are granted, and the judgment of the Court of Appeals is reversed. It is so ordered. And again, that was the full opinion. It was a per curiam opinion. Um, no dissents were attached. If you'd like to support the podcast, support me through my 2L year of law school or my uh, public defender internship that will be coming up this summer, you can find me on Patreon, um, Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, or you can get a hold of me at RhodesScholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S, like the truck driving roads, and the number 80 at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.